time, right before Jesus died on the cross, where he talked to all of his disciples, and they were actually eating supper together one night. And he took some bread and he said, disciples, you guys who love me, he said, think of me like this bread. He says, I'm going to be broken for you, meaning his body was going to die. And he says, every time you eat bread, I want you to think about me. And he took a cup that was full of wine. We usually drink juice. And he says, guys, see this? Here, guys, come here, look a little closer. I want you to see what's in here. Do you see all those little cups? Emma, can you tell, Corbin, what's in those cups? Do you know? Can you see? What's it? What do you think it is? It's juice. It's not wine. No, we don't usually do wine. Although that, that'd be okay. Some churches do wine. We usually do juice. Yeah, that's grape juice. What color is it? Can you guys see? Here, come real close. Look, look in there. See what color is it? Red, maroonish. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, guys, every time his wine would have been red too, just like that grape juice. He says, every time you drink this, he said, think about me because this is like my blood, which is given for you. So what we're going to do today at the end of our service is everybody who believes in Jesus is going to come up and they're going to get a piece of this, this crackery kind of bread and they're going to remember Jesus. And they're going to get one of these little cups of grape juice and they're going to remember Jesus. Because why? Who are we here to celebrate today? You guys know the answer. Jesus, exactly. So, Nolan, I'm so glad that you asked about that. That, got to, that gave me a chance to tell you even more about Jesus. But that's called communion, when we eat some bread and drink some juice and we remember Jesus. Jesus said, do this and remember me. So today we're going to do that and remember Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's time for you guys to go to Children's Church. I see Mr. King back there, and he looks like he just can't wait to tell you some things about Jesus. And I see Chuck there. He's got his hand out. He might even give you a high five if you walk. He won't give you a high five if you run but I'll give you a high five if you walk. Can we pray together? See that? I'm learning how to, how to talk to children and give them incentives. Can we pray? And who are we going to pray to? Jesus. Yeah, let's pray to Jesus. Dear Jesus, thank you for hearing our prayers. Father God, thank you for hearing our prayers. Holy Spirit, thank you for hearing our prayers. Lord Jesus, we've been singing about you, and we've been learning about you. And Lord, in a little bit, we're going to take communion to remember you. Jesus, help us to stay focused on you and help these boys and girls as they go to Children's Church and as they live the whole rest of their lives. Help all of these boys and girls to be absolutely focused on you. Jesus, we love you. Boys and girls, can you say amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Why don't you guys go ahead back to Children's Church. How, oh, Chuck, boy, you guys, you guys are doing a great job. You guys are doing a great job. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of funny how these services come together. Um, this morning we opened up singing nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can uh, read off of Gene's lead sheet here without messing up his place. We sang, this is what we sang together. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see. For my cleansing, this my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
I told you at the beginning of the service today that pride was going to be a key word that we are going to talk about today. And here is why. Because pride is one of those vices that gets in the way of us recognizing and living for Jesus. Pride tempts us to put ourselves in the place of worship. In the place, and if that sounds too dramatic, I wouldn't worship myself. Well, think about what worship is. Worship is giving attention and giving effort and giving glory to something. And frankly, most people are most tempted to give that to ourselves. That's pride. That's an inaccurate picture of who we are. Because even though we are all valuable, even though we are all loved by the Lord, even though God has an incredible passion for us that most of us don't understand, we are not deserving of worship. Only the Lord, his son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Right? So this is why we must keep our ideas of ourselves in line. Why do I mention this today? Because many are not doing this very well. Ross this morning read a bit about anger from the book of James. James says we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And Ross, I like the way that you connected that with pride. Right? It's those of us who are proud who are most tempted to speak quickly. Okay, you're talking, but let me tell you about me. Brian Regan talked about the me monster. If any of you have seen that, you can imagine that right now. Me, me, me. Right? This is what so many of us are tempted to live after. And I love the way here in Mark chapter 9 and 10, we are called back to remembering that we are not the ones who deserve all the attention, all the glory, and all the praise. That is for the Lord alone. So why don't you open your Bibles? If you have one, uh, it'll be on the screen if you don't have one, but follow along. We're going to start in Mark chapter 42 today, and we're going to try to cover a big chunk of verses. We'll see how this goes, okay? But, but you're going to see three distinct little chunks of Scripture here, and it's, it's an, interesting little, an interesting little sandwich that Mark writes about. First, there are a couple of verses about children, and then there are a couple of verses about divorce. And then there are a couple more verses about children. Kids, divorce, children. And I want you to be thinking as we read through this, just how pride can get connected and tied up and wrapped up and tangled up in all of this. And so here in Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 42, Jesus speaks to his disciples. And, and he had a couple of children around him at this point. And he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones those who believe in me, to stumble, it'd be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. In other words, if you distract a child from Jesus, it'd be better for you to drown and die than to continue on in the way that you're going. Frankly, I don't think I need to say an awful lot about that. That is a pretty distinct picture, isn't it? It'd be better for you to be dead than for you to distract a child who believes in Jesus from Jesus. Jesus goes on, and he says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed with two hands than to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die, the fire is not quenched, and everyone will be salted with fire. Here, Jesus says, people... You are not 
the biggest, most important, most essential part of the world. These children are important. And teaching them is more important than you keeping your life. Jesus says, your holiness is important. Now he's speaking figuratively here because we know that cutting off a hand is not going to stop someone from sinning. Cutting off a foot is not going to stop someone from sinning. Cutting out your eye is not going to stop someone from sinning because we know that sinful attitudes come out of the heart. But Jesus here is giving people a picture that says it is so important to be about the work of Jesus. Be careful, because if you're not, it'd be better to lose a hand, to lose a leg, to lose an eye. It'd be better, in fact, to have a millstone tied around your neck and to lose your life than to be distracted from Jesus. In Mark 9, 50, Jesus says, salt is good. Salt brings flavor. Salt is a preservative. Salt actually was a part of of the offerings that were often given to the Lord. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? He says, believers have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. And as we wrap up these couple verses here in Mark chapter 9, as we survey over them really quickly, I like the way it ends. Have salt among yourselves, be at peace with one another. And it is difficult for proud people to be at peace because proud people are easily offended. Proud people are easily angered. How dare you speak to me that way? How dare you not recognize my rights? How dare you not recognize my greatness? How dare you not recognize my power? Pride has a hard time being at peace because pride continues to call for praise. But the Lord Jesus says, be at peace with each other. And then in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 1, it says that Jesus left that place where he'd been doing some teaching, and he went into the region of Judea across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, as was his custom, he taught them. So Jesus is in this stage of his ministry. He's been doing things for a couple of years. People sort of are, are picking up on who he is and the kind of things that he does And so crowds are following him wherever he goes, and these crowds were pressing in around them, and so he taught them. Some Pharisees, verse 2, came to him. These Pharisees, these would have been Jewish religious leaders. These would have been guys who knew the scriptures inside and out. What we call the Old Testament was written on their minds. These Pharisees knew the scripture the way few of us do. But yet they came to Jesus, and it says in verse 2 that they tested him by asking a question. They were not asking a question they didn't know the answer to. They were asking to see if he knew the answer. And here's the question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? You want to stir up some conversation in the church today, start talking about divorce and how people think about that. What about this? And what about that? Start asking about the particulars. This is a topic that is difficult sometimes for people to talk about. Sometimes I think, frankly, it's because we're proud. I've never been through that. I've never succumbed to that. I've never been a victim of that. I don't want to have to talk about that. My marriage is a mess, and my wife and I don't love each other, but we're not divorced. Pride can get us into all kinds of trouble. But nonetheless, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked him, they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus asked them, what did Moses command you? 
Why did he do that? Because Jesus is speaking their language. These Pharisees were all about the laws of Moses. They knew Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they could even pronounce them correctly the first time. They knew all the laws that God had given to his people Israel. They knew every single decree, and they had been working for 1,500 years and adding their own spin and interpretation to it. And so these Pharisees had all kinds of ideas. Jesus says, what did Moses command? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And that's actually a correct answer. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, and you can see that Moses indeed said, God spoke through him and said, okay, if, in fact, there's a lot to the passage. What it says in Deuteronomy is that if a man divorces his wife, he ought to write her a certificate so that it's official. What it says in Deuteronomy is, if she then goes and marries another man, and that second husband either dies or divorces her, what it says in Deuteronomy, and what they, what they were really kind of quoting from, is a passage that says that the first husband can't come back and marry her again. That's detestable. You can't put her away, say she's unfavorable to you, and then change your mind later. That's what Deuteronomy was saying. These men, these Pharisees coming to test Jesus, they ask him, what about divorce? He says, what did Moses say? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And here's what Jesus says, verse 5. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Jesus says to these men, he, he reframes the whole discussion. He says, yes, Moses did permit you to have divorces among you because you were such a mess that this is the only way for God to keep order. God never demanded divorce. God never said that divorce is a good thing. Is there anybody in this room that would say divorce is a good thing? How about those of you who have been through it? Is divorce a good thing? No, it's not. Now, we know this. But here is Jesus. He's saying to these men, these men who have been studying the scriptures so hard for so long, he says to them, yes, in fact, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce because your hearts were hard, but that's not how God intended it to be. And then Jesus goes back and quotes from all the way at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he says, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Boy, we could have some sermons about that in the next couple of weeks. Maybe we will. And then in verse 7, Jesus goes on, continues quoting Scripture. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Underline that word united or, or highlight it in your Bible. That's an important word when you start thinking about marriage. A man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. What Jesus says to these men is, yes, God allowed you to write a certificate of a divorce because you guys were just doing your own thing anyway. God did not intend for what is now one body to be split up into two. It doesn't work that way. God did not intend for people who were married to divorce each other. That's just not a good thing. But you guys... You Jewish folks, even 1,500 years ago, Jesus says, and Jesus was a Jewish man himself. He's talking to his people. Jesus says, look, people were so stubborn and so broken and so proud, thinking that they could make all the rules, that they were just doing their own thing. And so God brought some order and said, okay, 
You may divorce her, write a certificate of divorce, and here's how we're going to put some boundaries around this. But Jesus says we must recognize that if you're married and if you've been married, you're no longer two but one flesh. Those of you who have been through a difficult breakup, perhaps you've been through a divorce, you understand this perhaps better than some of the rest of us who have not been through that. You understand that strange, mysterious connection with that person that still exists even though all the legalities have been done. That's true about sexuality in general but we can understand from what Jesus is saying that there is something happening more than just saying, I do, and then getting to a place where you say, I don't. There is something happening between a man and a woman who are married to each other that doesn't easily go away. This is big stuff, and we could talk for a long time. And if any of you would like to talk more about this, and if you're curious, Jesse, how, do you, how does Waterway think about this? What, what's, we can talk more Bible study kind of stuff. But it's interesting. Look at verse 10. When they were in the house again, that is, after Jesus was out talking with the people, the disciples asked Jesus about this. Why? Because they had some of the same questions that you may have right now. They wanted some of the same kind of clarifications. What are the particularities here, Jesus? Exactly what does this mean? Where do we draw the lines? How do we work this out? And here's what Jesus said. This may sound like a little bit of an abstract answer, but, but hang in there. Jesus answered, he said, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, this was radical. You may look at this and and be trying to sort out and figure out what's going on now. I want to tell you how these disciples 2,000 years ago would have heard this. They would have heard this as radical because what it said in the Old Testament and what it said in Deuteronomy is that a man can divorce a woman. And then if she goes and runs around, she's committing adultery against him. There's nothing in that divorce section of Deuteronomy that talks about the man committing adultery. And there's nothing that gives a woman any kind of a right to divorce her husband. In that time that's being referred to in the Old Testament, divorce was an issue very much of power. And the men had the power to do that, and the women were stuck very often with how that worked out. Jesus here is reframing things and saying to his disciples, look, there is a problem with all people, men and women, who get swept away in their own thinking. He says, if a man divorces his wife, marries another woman, he's committing adultery. That's a new idea to these guys. And if she divorces her husband, marries another man, she commits adultery against him. What Jesus is saying here is be careful how you think about people. Be careful who you elevate and be careful that you don't give yourself this, this picture that you have some kind, of a, some kind of a power over others that you don't deserve. Yes, there is stuff here to learn from divorce. Yes, we know that the Lord hates divorce. Yes, we know that divorce is a tragedy for people to have to go through it. And yes, we know that there are all kinds of situations that end in divorce. Again, we could talk about particularities for a long time. But I'm struck by what Jesus is saying. At the end of Mark chapter 9, Jesus said, it is so important that we look out for these children and don't elevate yourself too highly above them. Here in Mark chapter 10, these first 12 verses, Jesus says, it is so important that you men don't just get this idea that you get to make all the decisions, but this goes both ways. And now here, look at these next couple of verses, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. 
people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. That's an interesting sentence, isn't it? People bringing little children to Jesus. Why? Because of course you would. If, if, if Jesus is in town and, and you got your child, I mean, don't you want your child to be blessed? If Jesus was standing here, wouldn't you want to come forward? Jesus, just, just bless my kid. I mean, what else can you give a child? People were bringing little children to Jesus for as he place his hands on them. If it stopped there, it'd just be kind of a nice little sentence. But it says then that the disciples rebuked them. Kind of a, don't bother Jesus with your kids. Get these kids out of here. Kind of ugh, a rebuke. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Verse 14. Indignant. That's, that's a word that maybe we don't use very often. Indignant. Kind of a, guys, what are you doing? But a, a guys, what are you doing with, with some anger behind it too? As in, guys, how dare you? That's indignant. When Jesus saw this, the disciples rebuking people who bring in their kids for a blessing. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, this is his disciples. He said to them, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It's interesting. What did Jesus say in Mark chapter 9? You cause a child to stumble, it would be better. You have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. Now Jesus says here, don't... <laughs> Don't hinder them at all. The kingdom of God belongs to these. These children. These, these ones who you see as annoyances. These ones who you see as underfoot and in the way. These ones who you would rather to just be seen and not heard. Jesus says, don't hinder them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as them. And is that a humbling rebuke for these disciples? Would that have helped these disciples to have a fuller picture of what really matters to God? Right? It's not just them, and it's not just the grown-ups who are important, and it's not just the powerful people who are important. Even the children are important people. Do you see the importance of keeping our perspective in line, understanding who we are, that we are loved by God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but we can't go elevating ourselves above others, not even the children. Do you see how Jesus is teaching his disciples to love each other? Do you see how Jesus is teaching his disciples not just to go and, and cast out demons and, and, and perform miracles and, and do great worship services? He's telling them, no, you need to think about these people and love them and care for them, no matter who they are, no matter how old they are, no matter where they're coming from, and no matter what their history might have been. Jesus says in Mark 10, 15, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Do you see what he's showing them? Do you see what Jesus is showing us? It's as if he's saying to his disciples and to all these Pharisees, and in fact to the whole crowd around him, it's not enough just to think that you're right. But you've got to be living with love that looks out for other people. And I just wonder if that's a lesson that you and I need to learn as well. There are a lot of things that I think I'm right about. I've spent my whole life thinking about stuff, so of course I'm right. If I was wrong, I'd change my mind. That's what a proud person says. It's what I say too often. If I was wrong, I'd change my mind. I don't think I'm wrong, 
So I stay where I am. Listen, there's a lot of stuff, church, and, and I know I'm talking to the church now, and those of you online, I'm glad that you're checking in with us. I, we don't know where you are. Maybe you don't know very much about us, but I'm going to speak to those of you in the room right now. There are a lot of us who know a lot about the Lord and how he calls us to live. And there are a lot of us who know a lot about the difference between right and wrong, and we know what conduct is good and what conduct is bad. And we've prayed about that and talked about that and we've counseled people. And that's good and that's appropriate and that's what we're called to do. We as God's people are supposed to be vessels of light in this world. That means we know what the light is. We shine Jesus. We speak Jesus. We show Jesus to everybody around us. We don't show evil. We don't show the devil. We don't bring darkness. And so we can discern between good and bad. We can discern between right and wrong. That's what God calls us to. But I just wonder if in our discernment, if any of us are falling into the trap of the kind of legalistic blindness that the Pharisees and that these disciples had seemed to fall into for a bit, where they were so concerned with what was right and what was proper that they forgot to love the people around them to whom they were supposed to be ministering. This is hard because there are people in my world who are really messed up. I don't have to drive very far to see them. And there are people in my world who think I'm really messed up. Sometimes they tell me that more often than I wish that they would. And we have our arguments, and we have our discussions, and we have different perspectives, and we have different opinions. It's fine to argue. It's fine to have different opinions. But one of the things that I've realized in myself and that I'm seeing happen in a lot of others is that there is a temptation in the midst of those arguments, in the midst of those discussions, to move beyond just a healthy, loving kind of a debate that is trying to show the Lord to people. There's a temptation to move beyond that and to elevate myself and demand that people recognize my position. Do you know what I'm talking about? There is this demand that people recognize that I am right or else how dare they? We live in a world that is quick to be offended. We live in a world that profits on outrage. And all of that is simply a product of pride. Elevating ourselves above our appropriate position as loved, saved, and redeemed children of God, but now making ourselves people that ought to be recognized, people that ought to be deferred to, people who ought to be agreed with. It's making us angry. It's making us ugly. And sometimes it's killing our witness because we're so concerned with showing someone else that we're right that they never have a chance to hear why we're right. And it's because God is speaking and God's love is coming through and God's love is drawing people in. I think that's a real challenge. That's a real challenge. And here's how I'm going to challenge you as we get ready to come into this time of communion. I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'm going to invite you. We have, um, we have two different trays here of bread. Well, actually, they're identical trays. They have um, a, a regular gluten-filled option on the right. That's the, the larger cracker. And then there's a gluten-free option. And both of those trays have both options on it. And there's a cup. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to come together and we're going to take the bread and the cup, and we're going to recognize and remember the body, blood, and the life, in fact, of Jesus Christ. 
And that should remind us of how glorious and amazing he is and how loved and humble we are. But to do that together well, I think we have to repent of our own selfishness, of our own pride, and of all the anger that we've let creep in over the people who have not recognized our rightness. So I'm going to give you a challenge. This may feel like it's coming out of left field, and I, I admit that it feels like that a little bit to me too, but this, this struck me here the second part of the week. So I'm just going to put it out for you. One of the things that I see that feeds anger and pride in me, and just notice how often in your life anger and pride go together. One of the things that, that feeds anger and pride in my life is the news. And there's all kinds of different ways that we get our news. News of the world, the things happening around us. Sometimes we receive that through the television, whether it's network news or cable news. Sometimes we read it in print from a source that's been around forever and ever, or maybe just some guy who happens to have a typewriter. Typewriter. Does anybody have a typewriter anymore? <laughs> maybe you get it from your social media account, whatever your preferred platform is. Today is July 31st. Tomorrow's August 1st. That's just an arbitrary divider, but I wonder how far into August you can go without checking out the news. And I wondered if you'd be any better for it. I just wonder. It's easy for me to say, I don't like watching the news. I don't check it out very often. Maybe you've noticed that. There are a lot of things that I'm uninformed about that are happening in Washington, that are happening around the world. There are wars that I don't know very much about. There are economic policies that I'm totally unaware of. And you know, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I'd like to just challenge you as we're thinking about pride and as we're thinking about humility and as I'm thinking about what are the sources that tend to get us ramped up into this outrage mode, I wonder what would happen if you were to step away from the news on August 1st, maybe also August 2nd, maybe also August 3rd. Would you miss anything that you needed? Or would maybe you find that you're starting to miss things that you didn't want in the first place? Just a test. Just a test. Call it an experiment. Take a couple hours or a couple days, maybe a couple weeks, and step away from your news sources. Step away from your social media. Step away from your TV and your screens. Step away and see if any of that temptation to pride and anger and outrage steps away too. Just a thought, an invitation, if you will, for those of you who would like to see if life can be better. I feel like we need to pray. Would you pray with me? Can we pray? And church, if you are able, I know not everybody's able uh, because of your physical limitations or just because of where you're sitting, but if you are able to pray on your knees, I'd like to invite you to do that now. You don't have to, but I'm going to pray from my knees right now because that's a position of humility that I think is helpful for me. So that's just an opportunity for you if you like and if you're able.
Lord God, I am coming to you on my knees right now because too often I know I stand up tall and proud when I ought to be more careful. And Lord, even as we, many of us take this position of humility, Lord, we recognize that what we really need is humbleness in our hearts. And so, Lord, I thank you for all the people in this room who have a good outlook on who they are, who have a good outlook on who you are, and who have been walking and living and speaking and reacting with humility, even in these dark days. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the wisdom that you've given so many folks here in this room to avoid the temptation to make a big deal of themselves and their opinions. Thank you, Lord, for the people who are quick to listen and slow to speak. But Lord, as we come before you, I recognize and many of us recognize that that we need your help, Lord, to stay humble. We know that there are all kinds of voices and there are all kinds of frustrations and there are all kinds of situations around us that would tempt us to be angry and outraged. That would tempt us to dismiss people who disagree with us. That would tempt us to write people off who are in need of our love. Lord, please take our blinders off. So that we don't just see things with our own eyes and through the lens of our own perspectives, but Lord, help us to see the world the way that you see it. Help us to respond to the world the way you respond to it. Help us to be people who are humble and gracious and loving. People who are convicted people who are inspired. And Lord, help us even in the times when we are right, even in the times when we do have the right perspective, when we've been reading your Bible and we are clear about how to live, Lord, help us, help us to be winsome in the way that we talk about that and not just a bunch of proud jerks who happen to have the right answer. Lord, help us. Because we know that our mission is not just to be right, but to love others in such a way that they want to become more like you. Lord, help us not to turn people off just because of our pride. Oh, but Lord, help us. This is hard to work through. Holy Spirit, please come and fill us. Show us how to live well. Show us how to live with grace and truth. Lord, we need your help. Thank you, God, for this chance to be together today, to think about these things together. And Lord, now as we come into this time of communion, as we remember how Jesus humbled himself to experience death on a cross for our sakes, Lord, help us to remember well his example that he didn't see greatness as something to be held on to at all costs, but instead he laid down his life for those he loved. He laid down his life so that even those people who were so wrong would have an opportunity to repent and come to you. 
Lord, help us to remember Jesus and to be more like Jesus. It's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen.